Hi everyone, this is the podcast Hearsay and my name is Saya. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is Laura Imbruglia. Laura has been in the music scene for a long time, recorded several albums under her own name and has been playing around Australia in lots of different forms, uh, solo and with a bunch of different bands. Recently, she started the web series Amateur Hour, a comedy music skit variety show, which you can find if you search Amateur Hour on Google or Facebook or Instagram, uh, whatever you may wish to use. Um, It's well worth checking out. It stars all kinds of amazing Australian talent and it's a really great snapshot of what's happening in the arts at the moment, Uh, something that's so very needed. Laura's awkward slash funny story is illustrated by Rosa Morgan, a beautiful musician and designer illustrator. You can check out more of her work on Instagram at redghostsounds, one word. Um, Yeah, enjoy. This is Hearsay Episode 11, Laura Imbruglia. friend Laura. G'day, how are you going? I'm great, how are you? Pretty good. Thanks so much for being on my podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Any excuse to bloody have a chat? I know, I feel like we never get to talk enough. I think you're like the only friend I have that calls me like out of the blue <laughs> just for a chat. <laughs> I know. Normally when people call me I assume something terrible has happened. Oh but yeah. Because I'm used to it with you I assume you just call them for a chat. Yeah, just, Mm. you know, walking down the street. I wonder what Laura's doing. Mm. (laughs) And also, I need to know if you've caught up on Nashville. Uh, I have caught up. I think there might be a new episode that's become available today. Is that true? Do they come live on the... Yeah. I think Um, they do. uh, So, yeah, I've caught up to the, like, biggest, latest bombshell that's happened. Oh, my gosh. uh, Which you haven't. No, I'm I'm like three episodes behind you now. Uh, I don't blame you because this season's kind of shit so far. Yeah, but you know, I think maybe they're all a bit shit, but we we just got so into it. I feel like it must have been good at some point and like probably the <laughs> first two seasons for us to get sucked in in the first place. Yeah. I think maybe like the character development's really interesting in the first couple of seasons where you just you're just dying to know what happens to them and they're all such drama queens. Yeah, just waiting for Avery to get better hair. <laughs> just waiting for Gunnar to get a proper girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I had, uh, when did I? I think Saturday night I, um, I still hadn't caught up. So a big thing has happened, but I don't want to oh tell you gosh. what it is. But on Saturday night I still hadn't watched that episode with the big thing. And I was like pretty wasted at a party, just scrolling Facebook (laughs) and someone had tagged me in a Nashville article and said, Hey Laura, the article said, uh, has Nashville, has Nashville lost its shine? Oh. And, uh, and she tagged me and said, Hey Laura, what do you think? Has Nashville lost its shine? And that's, I, I wanted to, I had an opinion on it that yes, it has. And so I clicked on the article to see what it said and then it just revealed no. everything that happens and it's not a, a thing that you want. It's not like a casual spoiler. It's a pretty big uh, one. no. Yeah, so I was pretty distraught for the rest of the party. Damn it. I really I have so many questions I want to ask you about it, but I feel like I don't want to ruin it for myself. Mm. So let's move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you want to know? <laughs> Everything. Ooh, so yeah. I guess I try I try to ask people, um, I just want to know a little bit about like where you came from, when you started liking music, what was your family life like when you were growing up, was there music involved, you know, all that kind of usual stuff. Well, well I'm the youngest of four girls. And I love that you're the youngest of four girls, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Why do you love that? <laughs> Because I feel like it gives me a real insight in, 
into your personality a little bit because you're quite you're quite sort of um I don't know I think you have a certain shyness about you um but I also think you have have this like like really huge um personality when it comes out it's really out and I feel (laughs) like maybe that's what that happened because you're the youngest of four girls possibly Uh, am I right in thinking that yeah it could be that also being like a pretty strange person um and the youngest of four girls like where everyone in your house thinks you're strange and tells you you're a weirdo (laughs) growing up that makes you kind of shy around strangers yeah fair enough (laughs) it could have been that I don't want to blame them but I think it might have been that Uh, (laughs) it's completely their fault that I'm weird (laughs) yep not that I'm weird but that I'm shy (laughs) stop being weird in public you talking about oh yeah okay girls um yeah and uh my dad was into music um like he had been in a, a vocal group that was kind of like the seekers awesome um called the birds and the bees great and they basically yeah folk group they basically did just seekers covers um, awesome and uh but that said we still didn't have much of a music collection at home like maybe about 10 records max. Okay. Yeah. And was were they all of the Seekers? Uh, yeah, I think there was a, the Seekers, Mamas and Papas, um, the Beatles, like lots of vocal harmony groups. Yeah. And That's like awesome. squeaky clean sort of thing. None of yeah. the Beatles weird shit, just the like early no stuff. No psychedelic stuff. No. <laughs> <laughs> just before just... they grew their long hair and went weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I'm I'm paraphrasing my parents, and they never yeah. said that to me, but I feel like that's what they thought. <laughs> mm. And so you um, do you remember listening to those records when you were little? Yeah, yeah, and the Carpenters. I how could I forget the Carpenters? They were like the number one band that we listened to. Yeah. Um, and are still one of my all time favorite bands. Yeah, they're um, they're wonderful. Yeah. So what's the age gap between you and your sisters? Uh, there's four years between me and Michelle, four years between Michelle and Nat, and two and a half years between Nat and Carla. Wow, that's a pretty huge age gap between yeah. you and the oldest. Yeah, 11, 11 years. Wow. Uh, uh, four, eight, is it 11? Oh, I don't want to add up, I but I'm know. pretty yeah. sure I've added it up before and it's 11. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're actually the most similar, me and Carla, the older sister. Oh, nice. Mm. Uh, is she into like indie rock and no, country we're music? No, not similar in that way. Oh, she does like a lot of music that I get her onto, put her onto, um, but similar in our kind of like dorkiness and oh, cute. bad posture and <laughs> like, I don't know, appreciation of the arts and stuff. Nice. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we grew up and basically just like lots of driving around with the whole family singing along to the Carpenters. Oh. So they were my formative years. And besides that, um, lots of repeated screenings of the movie Annie. Yeah. And you were just telling me before that you watched Annie today. Yeah. Well, I'm halfway through. We had to, it was, oh. it's a long movie and um, I had to have a pause I was watching it with my girlfriend and I'm she's told me already she doesn't like musicals and I think she forgot <laughs> before she asked to watch this one she forgot that it was a musical uh, so I'm letting her have a breather are you singing all the songs at her I'm kind of like preempting all the. I'm like turn the kitchen light off and then he says it <laughs> um <laughs> like little pig droppings like just little lines as they're coming up. I don't know that movie that well, but I know my school did it, did the musical Annie when, you know, I was like maybe in grade six or something. Yeah. Um. So I learned all the songs then. I wasn't in it or anything. I was just, I think I was like in the, the stage hand group or something, oh, which basically some... meant nothing when, when you're 12. Yeah. You missed but... out because there's some really good parts for blonde girls. <laughs> Are there? <laughs> no. Yeah, there's a couple of... um. I think there's a girl that goes, so how about champion? Um, or it might be like, no, I don't know which one it is. But in the Sandy song where they're naming Sandy. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's a few uh, blonde one-liners. 
Oh, bummer. But I, I feel like, out. yeah, Annie at the redhead and, and Pepper the brunette really. Well, it's all brunettes really. Right, right. I um I think I was too busy learning how to like roll a lead. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I guess you use that though. That's good. Yeah, it's good. I learned it when I was twelve. I still don't know how. <laughs> I'll teach you. Okay. You can cool. you can teach me some songs from Annie, and I'll teach you how to roll a lead. How's that? Awesome. Sounds good. <laughs> Can't wait to hang out. <laughs> <laughs> so back to your childhood did yeah. you did you grow up in New South Wales oh yeah I grew up on the central coast of New South Wales um so like if anyone's heard of Gosford yep. uh, or Tugra that kind of area Woi Woi a bit north of Woi Woi it's kind of like halfway between Sydney and Newcastle okay yeah oh that's that's pretty close to Sydney then yeah Hour and a half, but you don't ever go there if you if you live on the central coast and you're a kid. Like the only time we went to Sydney was for weddings of relatives that lived in Sydney or funerals. Yeah. Like for any any visit for family stuff that yeah, was Sydney, right. those people were Sydney based, but otherwise we're completely on the coast and Right. It's pretty um I don't know if it's different now, but it, it was pretty white and xenophobic when I grew up. Oh. That's yeah. not a very nice vibe to grow no. up in. Or did well, you just not know any different? You're just sort of, this is this is my life and I'm uh, going to live in my own little world. Yeah, I didn't know any any different. I thought, I mean, it's a great place for um, keeping kids. Uh, like I had a lot of fun just outdoors, Yeah, uh, getting to know plants and nature and stuff, which I feel is a pretty wholesome way to yeah. grow up. Oh, for um, sure. But, yeah, once I uh, – I just felt weird a lot of the time and just – but that's that's high school and school anyway. I don't know if you would be any different in the city. No, I think that's just being, being a kid. You yeah. just feel weird all the time. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, weird in a way that I'm, I'm not like any of these kids. Oh, like, right. There yeah. weren't a lot of – there wasn't a lot of love of art or just, like, weirdos. Um, yeah. Or, you know, tomboys. <laughs> um, yeah. So and so that kind of stuff as a base wasn't good. And then when I moved to Sydney um, after high school, I would just say things that I thought were a normal thing to say. And I'd have, like, my workmates at the record store be like, that's racist, you can't say that. Oh, <laughs> like what like, kind of thing? I don't Do know, remember? just, like, just shit generalisations. and Yeah. Um, I can't remember a particular sentence, but I remember being pulled up every now and then and, and being like, really? And they'd be like, yeah, that's horrible, <laughs> you can't say that. And I'd be like, oh, okay. And just, like, having to reassess, like, a lot of what was the norm where I grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. So did you go to Sydney to study or did you just go to Sydney to get out of your little town? Uh, to get out of the little town. And I wanted to work in a record store. That was like, I didn't want to go to uni, uh, at least not for a little while. Yeah. Um, and so there were heaps more record stores and cooler ones in Sydney and I managed to get a job in one. So, What record managed... store was it? Utopia Records. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a heavy metal, like yeah, hard, yeah. hard rock record store. That sounds like fun. It was awesome. I ended up spending seven years there. I never went to uni. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I never finished uni. <laughs> well, it just, I never wanted to go, but I thought, you know, maybe one day I'll want to. Um, and Stuff just gets in the way when you, I think when you're, when you're interested in music or when you start a band or whatever, it's just, you just... Like uni just doesn't seem that important anymore. You just want to go hang out with mates and play music or, you know. Well, that was my experience anyway. Yeah, I was, um, I worked with Rafe and the Hard-Ons and yeah. um, he was really influential to everything in my life. Like he, and also just a bit of a mentor. Yeah. Like he recorded my first demo and um, handed it to the person that became my manager and wow. handed it to Big Heavy Stuff who rehearsed at the same rehearsal studio as him and was like, you should give this, my friend Laura, a gig. Like, went way out of his way and I don't think yeah. he would do that for many people but he obviously no. uh, just wanted to help me out and 
Um, That's so lovely. Yeah, and he he got me. Uh, uh, yeah, he just uh, just seeing how he operates and being in a DIY band and all yeah. that. You know, just w- observing his life of going on tour, coming back and working some more hours and being able to maintain an adult life and do all this fun, cool stuff. I just, um, I just really looked up to him and that became what I wanted to do. Yeah, right. So when did you start, were you already playing music when you moved to Sydney? Yeah, yeah. I'd, so I picked up the guitar in high school, like when I was about 14, 15. Um, and I had started writing songs from like the first day I got a, got a guitar lesson. Yeah. And they were just... What kind of songs? Oh, they were silly. They were like songs about fat people and like just really (laughs) offensive shit. Um, (laughs) And there was a song called Common Right about how everyone in my family is left-handed and I'm right-handed. And they resent resent me because of it because like things are just easier (laughs) for me. Um, What else is there? Oh, just really silly things like loving chihuahuas and oh. uh, I can't remember, but a lot of them. And so I had been busking on the coast before I moved to Sydney and yeah. I think I must have um, invited Ray to a show that I was playing or something, that I, one of my first shows in Sydney. And then, yeah, he was like, I like your music. I'll, I'll record a demo for you on my uh, four track if you like. Cute. And it went from there. That's awesome. Yeah. So were you, were you doing any covers or it was just you and acoustic guitar? Just me and an acoustic guitar. Um, I was sitting down playing at that point, which is pretty uncool. But <laughs> as I say, I was from the Central Coast. Um, what was I doing? Yeah, just my own songs. They were just silly. Like they were... Your little songs that you'd written. Yeah. They were kind of That's pun- awesome. punchline-y. So you were just like playing these um these shows and then Ray came and and said he'd record your demo. Yeah. How many how many songs did you record with Ray? Uh I think it was 4. Okay. And then yeah, and then he handed that demo to Nick Tropiano who managed um Skulker at the time. Yeah. And uh he was like Nick you got to you got to manage Laura, you should manage Laura. You got to come see her play and just kept harassing. And Nick's office was around the corner from our work so that he'd always go drop in. And Nick was his record label. So okay. he'd always drop into Nick's office at lunch and occasionally bring me with him. And one yeah. day, and Nick used to come into the record store and be like, yeah, 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 like he's really, really loudmouthed <laughs> Italian guy and yeah. just walks around like he owns the place and he wouldn't he would stand at the counter and talk to other people and not ever look at me and introduce himself or acknowledge my <laughs> existence and i was like what a fuckwit um <laughs> and i i was like who's that guy oh he, he's nicky he manages skulker oh good one uh anyway one day nick decided to come up and be like uh ray says that i should uh come check you out uh when's your next gig and I was like, yeah, I want to be on Candle Records. Um, <laughs> he's like, well, yeah, hang on a sec. <laughs> I just want to know when your next show is. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You can come. But I'm interested in a different record label. Uh, <laughs> that You're was, like, I want to be on the record label the same as the Locksmiths and Darren Hanlon and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. were my heroes at like, yeah. this stage. Even though I was working in a record store that was like all about Judas Priest and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I was flying my folk flag. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I eventually told him when my gig was. He came and saw me. Uh, he loved it. He came to the next few shows and was, like, giving me advice along the way and, like, you know, I think you should stand up. It's way more punk rock. Like, yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, it's hard to play standing up. Yeah, we'll just practice a bit. And like, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, and I think I ended up uh, – I had been having meetings with him. Like, he was courting me to be – my manager and um I hadn't agreed to anything yet and then I did a show um that he didn't come to and a newspaper turned up yeah and with like a massive like you know paparazzi lens and just snapped away at my whole set and I was like just opening at a tiny pub wow um just because of my surname 
Uh, they Oh, yuck. Yeah. So at the end of the set, the guy came up to me and was like, hi, we want to, uh, we're going to do uh, an article on you. I just want to have a quick interview. Uh, I'm from the, I don't know which paper it was. It was like the Daily Telegraph or something. Yeah. And um, I was like, hang on, how did you find out I was playing here? I, I didn't want you to take photos during my whole set. That was really embarrassing. Yeah. Um, and... And then I went outside and called Nick and told him what had happened. And he was like, just tell him I'm your manager and, and get him to call me. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, lying to this photographer is what started our management situation. That's great. And did he, was he able to protect you a bit from that whole scene? Yeah. Yeah. He was great the whole time. So he did become my manager soon after that. And yeah. um, part of the agreement was that I would not do any newspaper articles like no interviews with the daily newspapers or new idea or any kind of fluff pieces yeah because we were getting a lot of calls about it um and I had done one or two and it had always gone like been a whole interview about my sister yeah um what's it like being Natalie's sister oh that's so annoying and or they'd ask heaps of questions pretend to be interested ask one question at the end like um there's, she was married to Daniel Johns at the time or going out with him and they'd like yeah. go, so is Daniel Johns at your house for Christmas? Oh, yuck. And then that would be the whole article. My answer to, my like angry answer to that last question, they would oh, no. make a whole article out of it. So I was just like, I'm not talking to these people again. Yeah. They're wasting my time. Oh, it's so good you had someone then to, to take the reins and just go, no, she's not going to do that. You didn't have to be the jerk to them to go, no. Yeah, it was awesome. He went above and beyond and Yeah. Uh yeah, it it was very hard to kind of get a bit of credibility. Like for years people didn't take me seriously anyway, just based on my surname, like assumed I was I don't know, trying to cash in or something. So I needed that sort of support. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. so what how long do you think it took until people started maybe ignoring the fact that you know, you had that same surname? Um, to be honest, I don't think... Any, I think it's only started happening in the past, like, five years. Yeah, right. Did you ever think about changing your stage name? Uh, no. Because it's my name and I don't want to... Like, I'm a pretty straight-up, no-bullshit person. I don't want a stage name. Yeah. Um, everyone would know who I was anyway. Like, it's a bit late in the game to change your mind. Yeah, and yeah. And I just don't want to. Like, I, I was quite happy to just stick it out and prove myself. And yeah, that's um, great. Yeah, I have this really annoying thing that it doesn't happen so much now, but um, for ages, people kept saying my name is Sia, and yeah. then it became like this crazy kind of confusing thing for everyone and really embarrassing for me because I'd have to say no I, I didn't get nominated for an aria <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get nominated for 10 arias yesterday <laughs> you can see my face can't you tell that I'm not Sia <laughs> it was so embarrassing but also like I mean you sort of have to laugh about it You're like well if that's important to you then I don't really you know I, you don't really need to talk to them about it no, I mean, it's a good way to f figure out who is good to filter out quickly. Like, yeah, you just like, it's a good bullshit fuckwit detector. Totally. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. Well, moving right along. Um, <laughs> so I kind of wanted to talk to you. I know that you have so many things that you do. I do normally sort of go through like your whole musical history and um, and and ask you some like maybe boring questions about you know, like your recording history and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I sort of wanted to go straight into what you're doing now, just in case we run out of time and I think there's a lot to talk about. So recently um, you've started your own sort of arts, culture, comedy, variety show on the internet called Amateur Hour. Yeah. Um, and I, I just wanted to ask you, it must be such a hard thing to maintain on your own. And I know we, you know, we text a lot about, how our whole life at the moment is editing and stuff. And I'm sure you have it way worse than me. But how are you sustaining? Like, how, how do you keep going? It just sounds like you're the busiest lady alive. 
Um, I've definitely, I'm busy, but, um, I still manage to have downtime and stuff as well. I, I, I put things into a calendar and I'm good at compartmentalizing things and just being like, you know, if I, basically I work a part-time job, I work three days a week, yeah. uh, in that job. And the other two days, the weekdays are set aside to work on amateur hour. So I'm either filming or editing on those days and if I get slack or something comes up that I need to do that isn't related to the show on those days, then I make myself work on the weekend. Yeah. Like to catch up the day. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just like, yeah, I spend a lot of time looking at the calendar and going, okay, I need to have a trailer ready by this time and and like lots of lists and things yeah it helps to have a format because i know that i need like seven of this type of skit and seven of this type of thing and each episode needs two music performances and in total i'm gonna need 14 uh and there's like a lot of curating going on as well lots of thinking time yeah and is know. was it is that format something that's been developed or was that straight off you knew exactly what you wanted to do? Because I know it's changed a little bit from the first season to the second. Yeah, they're gonna be stuck back together though at the end. So last okay. season, uh, season one, we we made six half hour episodes bookended by live music, um, and with skits and things in between. This season, um, we're just releasing those individual segments that make up an episode, uh, one a week. And then, yep. uh, at the end of production, we're going to assemble them all into seven half hour episodes. And right. the last episode, no one will have seen any of it. We're going to screen that live and that will be like an end of season two party. And that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so there's a method to our madness. We're just trying to get people to <laughs> actually click on the videos. Like it's easier yeah. to get people to watch a, a three-minute video on YouTube than a half-hour one. Yeah, that's really clever. I didn't know that that's what was happening. I just thought it was all just sort of broken up into little things now. No, it was a suggestion from a friend of mine who's clever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it makes perfect sense. It um, does. That's great. And I guess that makes it a little bit more manageable too, right? It helps to have like regular deadlines rather than just like when we get like, I don't know how many videos it adds up to, but um, let's imagine there are like seven part, seven segments per episode. What's seven times seven? Seven sevens of 49. 40, yeah. Let's pretend we had to have 49 things together by yeah. the end. That's last season we just kept filming and filming and filming and filming and editing and assembling and I was just like I had to make a format so that I knew that there would be an end date and knew like I had that's the only way you could draw, draw a line in the sand and yeah cuz I you're going to keep I see lots of great bands playing in Melbourne all the time and they'll I'll be like oh I should feature that band or yeah, you yeah. Know? And it's like, no, I filmed 14 bands, we're done. <laughs> sorry, sorry, guys. <laughs> you seem lovely. So, <laughs> so initially when, when you were sort of talking about the idea ages ago, you were saying that you sort of wanted a platform for touring bands um, to be able to play somewhere like Recovery used to or, you know, like Hey, It's Saturday and all of those shows that used to be around ages ago. Mm-hmm. Um do you think that that's logistically really difficult for someone who's who doesn't have like a weekly show? Like yeah, I, I I think the idea of the show being that is different to how it it works. Like you know, theory versus practice. Yeah. It sounded like a good idea, but it isn't logistically possible in our current format because we we move we don't have a studio. Yeah. We contact venues and say, hey, can we film on Monday or Tuesday uh, whilst you're closed? Um, and, you know, yeah, they see it as good publicity for their venue. Sure. Um, but it means you have to find people in bands that are available to film on a Monday or Tuesday when everyone's working. 
Yeah. So, like, it is tricky, and the bands that end up on the show, they're all great bands, but it's really hard to book them in because you ask so many bands before you get to one that can do it. Yeah, sure. Um, and so so they've all mainly been... Um, I mean, they've all been Australian bands so far, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's awesome. It's so good that there's a, a platform to showcase Australian music. It's so needed. It is. It's crazy that we don't have it and it's just a bit embarrassing that there's no document because, you know, years will pass and people yeah. will be assembling documentaries and specials on stuff and they'll just be like, we don't have any of this. We don't have any anything from that scene or yeah those important bands because no one there was no tv show yeah that's um, so good i'm so i'm so proud of you that you're doing this it's so amazing thanks mate do you feel like you're sort of getting to the point where you're fulfilling your vision uh yeah i mean it's what i what i imagined I, my vision could be a lot more you know crazy if i had um, someone paying me to do it as my sole job and I had a studio provided that we could deck out and leave yeah. set up. Like it, the show could be way better. We're working um, within our means and on limited budget. Yeah. Um, and it's not really sustainable. Like I don't know that there will be any more seasons after this one, but, you know, all we can do is make the best thing we can do and try and show people what, what they're missing out on. Yeah, and for sure. That, I don't know. I've it, you can't even get funding for this kind of show. Like, uh, like I got a grant from Creative Victoria. That was the most amount of money that like half the the budget came from them. Um, awesome. What but, kind? What kind of grant was that? Uh, I think it was like a creating content grant from okay. memory. Um, but they're just, they've got a lot of money and they're very supportive of Victorian music. So they paid for, that's why most of the artists featured are Melbourne bands. Yeah. Um, but when I tried to get like screen funding, they were like, mm, nah, we don't, we don't do variety shows. Oh. It's not a thing that's for major networks. And they told me if there was a demand for variety shows, then um, then they would exist. Right. We need to make a demand. Yeah, watch the freaking show. <laughs> Everyone watch the show. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So, that I mean, that's really good that you got a little bit of funding for it. But it's a shame that it's not um, – it's not sustainable. I guess it's really hard to find because you don't want to have the show full of ads and stuff. So you don't, you know, you don't really want to go down that route, do you? No. And then I would have to find someone that's good at talking the talk. Like I kind of have yeah. to do all the roles. Like if yeah, we, yeah. I, I, I do have um, Bron helping me at the moment, like get sponsors for things here and there. Yeah. Um, but like, Nothing massive. If if I want to get a sponsorship, like we got a road sponsorship for microphones for this season. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. But if, if I want to do that, I have to write the email, put together the press pack. Um, and I'm not, I'm okay with emails, but if, you know, I was in a position where I had to hustle a lot of money from an investor, I'm not the right person to do it. I'm very self-deprecating and like <laughs> honest to a fault. Yeah. Whereas I need someone that's like, oh, yeah, the show's growing and growing and it's going to be huge. It's the next big thing. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not the right person to do that. No, job. I'm not the right person for that stuff either. Yeah. I'm always like so um, like you, I started a podcast. Listen to it if you want. But oh, just maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> maybe don't. You probably hate it. Oh, <laughs> sucks to be us. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, I don't like that kind of art, the the modern artist that is good at like really good at selling themselves, like the Amanda yeah. Palmers of the world. Oh, it's scary. I don't know how anyone has that much self-confidence. Yeah, I think there's a reason why publicists and, you know, people in that world exist. But that said, in the in this day and age, um, it's kind of expected that the artist can do that stuff as well. Yeah. And it, it's not really uh, everyone's, uh, within everyone's capabilities. Yeah. 
Not not ours, baby. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wish I was better at it. I think I have it's I have a weird thing where I can talk about the felt instruments that I made quite confidently. Mm. I think I can I can talk myself up there or I can very say impressive. Yeah, I think that I can sort of I can distance myself from those and go I it's not my face, it's not my voice, it's something I made and I um I can yeah, I can talk about that and say I think that's really cool, that thing that I made. Mm. But anything to do with my other creative avenues, I find it difficult to brag about it you know I'm really I'm really uh self-deprecating and yeah shy about it I don't know why that is yeah I'm kind of the same as well it's I don't know I think it's an Australian thing as well I'm not even Australian (laughs) yeah but you you like you've spent most of your life here haven't you yeah all of it I know that was just a joke. <laughs> I am pretty Australian. I just don't have an Australian passport. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Australians don't really like it when when people talk about how good they are. Yeah, that's true. So you're kind of taught from an early age, that person's a wanker, that person's a wanker. Yeah. So you just learn not to talk yourself up. Yeah, I'm a wanker. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be a wanker. <laughs> um... So when you talk about we in Amateur Hour, who are you talking about? Um, we. Well, it, it's a team. Um, How many of you are there? There are heaps of us, but there's a core team. So I'm the producer and the director uh, and the host, and I write some of the comedy, like all the skits that I star in, I write. Yep. Um, and then there's two guys who kind of share the role of um, DOP and they also direct some of the stuff that's shot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Harry and Sam. There's Kelly who's um, does all the boom swinging and the bulk of the editing. Yep. And then Sam also does editing. He edits the music stuff. Basically, right. Harry was my right-hand man on uh, camera and director for season one and, ha- and yeah, Harry season one, Sam season two. Okay, cool. But they've both um, kind of shared shared roles and, and changed around when needed. And yeah. then, but then there are supporting other people as well. So um, for the music shoots, uh, there's a girl called Lara who um, is the music producer and helps find the bands and she um, is the live mixer. And awesome. Sean, a guy called Sean who is the sound recordist and he mixes the songs. Mm-hmm. Donno uh, does the mastering for the songs. It's a big yep. team. Yeah, and my housemate Jamie does the post-production on all the dialogue. Awesome. Yeah, and then there are more people than that. There's like all the, all the uh, music shoots have three, at least three camera techs. Wow. Um, There's heaps of people. It's pretty full on. And how do you go, I know you've, um, you've sort of publicly talked about uh, being an awkward host and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you're getting a bit more used to it now? No. <laughs> I I actually hate interviewing people. <laughs> yeah. It's um it's I, hard. I I like uh editing it because it's so horrible to watch that I find it funny. But <laughs> I always forget that I have to live through it before yeah. I can edit it and the living through it <laughs> is excruciating. <laughs> Why do you think What's the most excruciating thing? Just watching yourself or? Uh, I don't ever have time to research the bands. Yeah. Um, because I am seriously like writing, uh, like organising call sheets, which are pretty detailed, although I did manage to have an assistant. Jules do a lot of them for this season. Yeah. Um, uh, just like organising shit, dealing with the venue, um, booking crew members because they're not always available. Like I have to find out dates and things each time. Anyway, by the time yeah. and setting up lights, like just uh, hanging banners before we start filming and all of oh, a sudden God. it's like action and oh, there's God. a band in front of me and I'm like, oh, God, oh, what are their names <laughs> again? Like it's really hard to even remember four people's names um if yeah. you if you don't know them they some of the times they're my friends 
Yeah. Um, but if they're people that uh, are just a good band that we've been able to um, snag, I don't know their names and I've just met them. Yeah. And um, and I'm, I, I haven't researched their band because I've been doing this other stuff. And, yeah, sometimes my questions will be, like, based on the one thing I know about them. And it might be, like, four years old. Yeah, right. And I'll be like, oh, no, 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 we've released heaps of things since then. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> sorry. And it's shit. Whenever anyone interviews me and does that, I'm like, you piece of shit. Like, the least you could have done is read the bio. But I haven't even asked for a bio because I've just you forgot. You don't have time. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's disorganized. So the only way for me to, like, forgive myself uh, is to just treat it more like a chat, like a musician chatting to another musician and stop thinking just don't think of myself as any kind of journalist or you know professional because I'm not yeah well that's what I do you know just get into a thing you just start talking shit and hopefully it's interesting for other people to listen to or watch you know it's all you can really hope for I don't know get some cameras on you and try again oh yeah I think that would be really I think it would be much harder (laughs) It's like I squirm. Yeah. I'm like squirming on camera and some of them are really bad. And if the, if I find the people really intimidating, the interview, like they're supposed to go for about 15 to 20 minutes and then I edit it down to three minutes. Okay. But if I find the people really terrifying or I just feel like it's going badly, then I'll just end the interview after six minutes and just be like, thank you. And... <laughs> And it's just bad. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, I can. I, I mean, it. I can relate to that in a small way. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it would be way different in front of cameras. I'm just sitting in front of my computer with a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> talking just, to my friend, <laughs> and one at a time. Like, if you have like four people looking at you, expecting you to uh, like ask something, you know, reasonable. Yeah, and you don't have anything, and then. You also have like, I don't know, six employees, yeah, and slash friends, so you know, stressful <laughs> cohorts. They're all just everyone's <laughs> looking at you, and they're all thinking, "Did you seriously ask that?" Like, or <laughs> like, "Where are you going with this? Why are you talking about Roxette for so long?" Sometimes I get on a roll and I I talk about something for ages, and then when I listen back, I'm like. It sounds like I'm having a stroke. Like I can't, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where I was going and I'm like stuttering and like I'm so grateful that I can edit that out. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) editing's great. That's the other thing is like if this was a proper show, like, you know, like Rove Live or something, he actually was, as much as I don't like that show, at least like he can conduct an interview and get from A to B and like seem, seem relatively professional. Oh, totally. Like, I don't think he's funny, but there's a reason people like that have, like, you know, um, commercial set networks giving them heaps of money to make shows. Absolutely. He can, yeah, he can think on the fly and he can definitely sustain a conversation. Yeah, like, my show, if I, if I kept going and, uh, and it just stayed, I'm not going to get much better at what I do. And if people watch it, they're watching it because it's like watching The Office or something. Like it's, <laughs> you don't watch it for insightful interviewing. It's just like weird. But I have to say that I really love watching your interviews because, and I think it's just be, like because you're you're my friend and I, I love I love watching you and all of the skits and your interviews. But I especially love your interviews because, um, I think so much of your personality comes out in them and it, and also like every now and again you'll say something really loud and it makes me really happy really loud <laughs> yeah like when i was like think of the example of um yeah i can only think of the example when you were interviewing the gin club and they were talking about something disgusting of some like maybe like kangaroo vaginas or something. <laughs> yeah. And then you just did this really loud yuck. And <laughs> I, I lost it. It was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like yuck and then it cut off to something else. 
<laughs> yeah, that was a real tapestry because we had talked for so long. And then we just like, I had to just make a selection of golden moments for that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's every interview with Ben Salter. I had the same thing. We talked for ages and I had to edit it down. Um, yeah, he's, he's good. a pretty f- funny dude. <laughs> yeah, he likes a good yarn. Yeah, he does like a good yarn. Um, so I want to ask you about a couple of other things. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that for a long time, and I don't know if you still do this, but you were doing these love song dedications where people would, I guess, pay you to sing a song for them, uh, record a song for them into your computer. Is that Mm -hmm. right? Is that what happened? Yeah. It's kind of like webcam karaoke. So great. Like pre, pre pre-recorded. What started that? Uh, I think with my last album, I, uh, I ran out of money, um, before I, and I needed money to like pay a publicist. Like I kind of just, um, messed up my budget and (laughs) was like, Oh God, I need another like three grand or something. Um, and I really had like maxed out my credit card. I had no other money anywhere to pull from. And so I tweeted on it on Twitter, um, something like <laughs> I've run out of money, desperately need money. Uh, we'll sing, let's get it on via Skype for you. If you'll pay for it, uh, <laughs> or like something stupid like that. And then I like spent some time thinking about it and was like, maybe people would pay for me to sing a song that they've specifically requested, like yeah. into webcam and put it on YouTube, like just. I don't know, would they? I don't know, let's find out. And so I put announced it on uh, Facebook and like made Bandcamp uh, like products of it, digital products. Yeah. And So I, were you, you weren't recording this, you weren't just recording songs, you were waiting for like people to ask you which songs to play? Yeah, yeah, they make a custom order. So the first, yeah. I think I sold 20 like straight away when I announced it. Wow. But I only sold them for $30 a song, which I thought at the time was like pretty good a pretty good deal. Yeah. Um but then once I started um recording them and realizing that people can request anything and sometimes it's a song that you don't know. Yeah. Um and I hadn't put enough boundaries in place like <laughs> it has to be a song that there's a karaoke version of. Because like oh, there, yeah. there are a few where I had to learn guitar for a Radiohead song and stuff, and it's oh, just God. like this actually isn't like it's not worth thirty dollars to me. It takes me a long time, and yeah. Uh, so I, I changed the rules a bit, uh, and now they start at fifty dollars. Great. And uh, yeah, it's just like, and it's they were much sexier in the beginning. Like <laughs> when I first sold it, I was like, and I'll I'll make bedroom eyes to you, and like. <laughs> So I did a few and they're really like pouty and weird. And then I just like, I must have just forgot about it. And and now I just sing them normally and it's not the same. But still awesome. Yeah. Because it's you singing a song to someone. Yeah, that they've requested. What's the last one you did? Uh, the last one I did was a Talking Heads song. Wow, um, that must have been hard. Melody. It was. Huh. The mel- it's like the one that goes, ah. I got love in my mind, or whatever he sings. I don't know. Yeah, it, that's that, that's hard. It took me a long time, but you know, it's a cool song, and uh, yeah, I've got a greater appreciation for Talking Heads now. <laughs> Do you like singing karaoke in general? Love it. Really? Love it. What's your song? Um. I go through phases. For a while, it was I would do anything for love, but I won't do that by Meatloaf. Yeah. But it's quite a greedy song to select at karaoke because it goes for like eight minutes. <laughs> um, I like John Farnham, Two Strong Hearts. Good, good one. That's one. Hey, I had a I had a dream about John Farnham last night. Oh, That's really? Weird. Yeah. Did he have he... a stoma? <laughs> have we talked about this? No. There's a rumour on the internet that John Farnham has a stoma and that he's always had a catheter. Really? No, catheter? Colostomy yeah. bag. Colostomy the... bag. Yeah. There's a rumour that he's always had one, like his whole career. Huh. And if, if you Google John Farnham shirtless, it doesn't exist. And I find that strange, <laughs> seeing as he was a heartthrob 
like both in the 60s and in the 80s. Like he had yeah. two, two eras of heartthrobness and there's not one shirtless or fitted shirt photo of him. Ah, controversial. Hmm. I mean, I it doesn't matter. It's just interesting <laughs> no, because I think most people don't know and I think you should just like be open about it. <laughs> Why? It's, it's no one else's business, I guess. No, but I mean, he could be a leader in, you know. That's true. Stoma confidence. I wonder if people would look at him differently if they knew, though. Maybe he doesn't want to be seen as, you know, like having a vulnerability. Yeah, but vulnerability is cool. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's 2017. (laughs) Everyone's vulnerable and it's so cool to be vulnerable right now. (laughs) So John Farnham used to have a recording studio behind my school Hmm. and I used to see him drive past like almost every day in his maroon Porsche. Mm. And we used to go, Johnny! But he used to always ignore us. But we could see him through the window. That would have made my day. I loved John Farnham. Yeah, I loved him too. That was a long time ago. But I I, I thought about that last night. I dreamt about going, Johnny! Oh, so <laughs> it was just, just like a reliving of real life situation dream. Yeah. Cool. Weird. Anyway... <laughs> um, <laughs> Nostalgia dream. Yeah. Um, So another thing I wanted to talk to you about was you do these really beautiful country shows, which are like cross-dressing country events Mm -hmm. where you have to sing a song uh, from the person of the opposite gender and dress up as them or as someone of the opposite gender. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've always thought that was a really, really fun show can you talk me through what made you start doing those yeah I can't even remember my reasoning like um the first one I did would have been 2012 um I just love country music and I it was the first one wasn't a cross-dressing one it was just um like it just the girls sing songs made famous by guys and vice versa. Yeah. Um, and then we decided to up the ante the next year and make it a cross dressing event. Um, yeah. And it went from there. So I think I I had played a show with Courtney Barnett, and I knew she was a country fan. Yeah. And so and this was before she was massive. Um, and yeah, I asked if she wanted to co headline this show. Uh, where we do a whole bunch of country covers and that's where it started from. And then awesome. the idea was just to get a whole bunch of speci- special guests up. So it's like an all-star or like just bunch of mates event. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's really fun. But I didn't do it last year because I've been so busy with Amateur Hour. Yeah, it's hard to learn a whole bunch of country songs as well. Yeah, I I can't I can only do one thing at a time. Well, yeah, but yeah, yeah it's always uh, the first year also wasn't a fundraiser, and we realized that. Well, I realized organizing it that it's impossible to pay everyone much money when there's that many people involved. Yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, since that first year, uh, now from now on, we have um, a different charity that we raise money for each year, and that's everyone great. donates their time, and that's I guess the cross dressing part of it just makes it more fun yeah I feel like I kind of slacked out on the cross-dressing bit when we did it yeah Um, I think you dipped your toe in I dipped my toe in but it was it was difficult and I didn't you know I didn't have all my clothes there it was pretty like last minute you you (laughs) were added to the bill like at the very end yeah it was so fun though I loved it yeah we'll have to do it again (laughs) yes please (laughs) <laughs> it was just so nice to sing with you because we've never really got to do that before. No. Um, I came and did some some keys on your last record. Uh-huh. But I think that you and I just spent most of our time giggling. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that was a silly time. I kind of forgot that even happened until yeah. just now. It seems so We're, long ago. Like I've had was. such a big break from music. Um, yeah. That it's, yeah, all those I. All those um, memories are a bit foggy. Yeah. Don't you have, wasn't that, we had a, like a funny joke about, or just a funny realisation that some of our songs sound like they're about semen, but they're not. 
<laughs> oh yeah. Um, I've got two, so I've got um everything. I've got a song called Tear Ducks about crying all the time, yeah. and it has like everything looks salty. No, everything looks foggy, and everything tastes salty. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the lines. And then there's another one that I have, which is uh, uh, on the song that you played on, which is like, uh, I become one determined daughter of a gun when I get love in my eyes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and what's your one? You, oh, you well, just, I, you I sang lyrics. something incorrectly. Yeah, I spoonerized um, a lyric, that uh, a song that I cover, where instead of saying come a bit closer, look in my eye. I accidentally sang, look a little bit closer, come in my eye. (laughs) 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 But I didn't even notice. (laughs) You didn't notice? No, I just said, like, I was really in the moment. I was like, I had my eyes closed and it was just me and acoustic guitar. I was just singing it. (laughs) And then um, Kate, the girl that was um, playing guitar for me at the time, I just heard this like, (laughs) like from the side of stage. (laughs) Um, and then the whole audience realised what had happened. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moments like that are for people like us. Because I think lots of people just wouldn't appreciate that, like making that kind of mistake on stage. Like I think heaps of people would be humiliated. Yeah. But people like I you and stoked. I would be like, yes, <laughs> that's a good story. <laughs> I was embarrassed but also really stoked. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> Um, so I know, I'm sorry, we, we don't have much time That's to okay. talk about all the things you do. And I know there's so many and we didn't get to talk much about um, your music and stuff. And I know, um, I, I just like, kind of want to ask you if you miss playing music because I know you've had a bit of a break from recording and stuff. Mm-hmm. Are you missing it at the moment? Um, on a day-to-day basis, I don't miss it, but... Um Every now and then, like when I walk past a guitar store, I go, oh, like I get a bit yeah. sad and think I want to buy another guitar. And then I'm like, you haven't played the one you bought in 2014 yet. Yeah. Just like chill out on that for a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I miss it. Um, I've got a songwriting uh, residency lined up for later in the year. Great. That's I've, right. You're going somewhere, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going to Arthur Boyd's property um, Amazing. near Nowra uh, for a month to write my next album. So I've, I lined that up ages ago because I'm, I basically get depressed when I don't have a, a big project to sink my teeth into. So yeah. I knew that once Amateur Hour finishes, I'm going to get really down. Um, and so I just lined that up so I'd have something pretty much to jump straight into. Yeah. I do. I miss it. I miss when I, uh, like, I did a show, like a song for a community radio station recently uh, for, like, a concert they had and just going to the rehearsal with the band and, like, being in a rehearsal environment made me really nostalgic and miss that. Yeah. So I'll get back into it. It is pretty fun. Yeah, you will. When's your your residency start? Uh, I think it's in September. Great. Yeah. I think that's actually the secret of happiness is having something to look forward to all the time. Well, yeah, but then I've been having, like, there's a guy I know who shares articles with me about boredom and the value of boredom. And some of these articles say that, like, kind of suggest that there's something inherently wrong with me that I need to fill my uh, empty space with big things all the time rather than just enjoying, uh, you know, thinking about life and stuff. But I think that's something to do with like a habitual sort of development. You know, I think that I have the same thing and maybe I'm just making excuses for myself, but I definitely always need a project. And and I'm always time poor. I always have way too many things on. Um, And... I think that's just the way that I've always been because that's the way, I don't know if that's the way I was brought up, but it's the way that I've always, like I've always surrounded myself with lots of things to fill my time and I find it very difficult to be on my own and do not. I find it so hard to do nothing and relax. Mm. I can't remember the last time I relaxed, which is terrible. Yeah, I don't really, um, 
I, I have like one or two days of relaxation and then I'm like sad. Yeah. It's not relaxing anymore. I'm just sad. Yeah. Or I'll be trying to watch it. Uh, I'm just scrolling uh, my phone whilst I'm watching a movie yeah. at home. Like I don't really ever have downtime. I'm constantly like doing call outs on Facebook for different things. Like yeah, I crave interaction with people and projects and whatever. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Let's not let that guy tell us that we need to be bored. Okay. <laughs> Screw those articles. Those people are just boring. <laughs> They're probably heaps less anxious than us. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> it's an anxiety thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe it, it is. It could be. Yeah. Um, so Laura, mm. tell me your story of your weirdest show experience or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician. Okay. Um, so I feel like the the guy that this is about may hear it, uh, but that's okay. Like it's been <laughs> yeah, verified okay. as weird and it's definitely weird. Okay. So <laughs> what happened was many years ago, like maybe 2005-ish sort of time, um, I was playing at this festival that was in a park in uh, Newtown, I think, in Sydney. Yeah. And it was a pretty small festival. It was just like one stage, um, run off a generator. And um, Dan Kelly and the Alpha Males were playing. Uh, yeah. And there were, who else was playing? The band Treetops. Yeah. It was like a pretty small bill, but I felt pretty cool to be included on it and um and I was stoked and at some point before I got on stage the generator uh pooped itself oh no and then yeah there's just a bunch of musos all just kind of standing around waiting for them to fix it and uh this guy who used to come to a lot of my shows um came the backstage area was just basically like you know uh a tent like anyone could access it it was just yeah not uh, fenced off not fenced off yeah and so this guy came up um and I knew him because he was a regular fan of mine and he had an umbrella and uh he had a very um just distinctive look about him and so I had been talking to Dan and the alpha males and and trying to just like seem cool because they were like cool dudes from (laughs) Melbourne yeah. And like a little bit older than me and I just wanted to be like as normal and cool as possible. Yeah. Um and this guy came up with his umbrella and he's like, "Hi Laura. Uh I have to go. I can't wait any longer for you to play. Uh tell them to kick the generator in the mut." <laughs> and he said that because I had been saying kick kick you in the mutt on stage at that time for some reason. Like that was a thing that I was like, that was my catchphrase of the time. I don't know why. I don't know why. Okay. I was telling this story earlier tonight to someone else and they were like, what, but why? I'm like, I don't know. That's not the okay, weird part of I'll the story. It. All right. All right. Yeah. So he said that and every, and I was like, yeah, okay. I'll tell him to kick it in the mutt. And, uh, and he goes, Laura, do you always wear a T-shirt and jeans? And by this stage, everyone is staring at us because yeah. it's he's kind of interesting. Because you said kick him in the mood. Yeah, kick him in the mood and he's kind of interesting looking and we're obviously yeah. having a strange interaction. And yeah. maybe my body language was saying uh, I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Or it was just <laughs> a strange vibe. And Yeah, so he goes, Laura, do you always wear a T-shirt and jeans? And I was like, yeah I guess so yeah most of the time and he goes I think you would look better in a lacy teddy and panties no yes and I I said thank you uh I don't want to say his name but I said thank you uh I will keep that in mind and then he just like turned around and walked away and Dan and the alpha males were like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> and it was so embarrassing because I had just been like, uh, you know, mentally derobed. 
Um, mentally and verbally derobed in front of all these dudes. Cool dudes from Melbourne. Yeah, and apparently Dan still tells people that story. <laughs> it's like one of the weirder fan interactions he's seen. What? Did he say Teddy? Well, that's how he remembers it. I thought he said frilly bra and panties, but whenever I see Dan, he always talks about the lacy Teddy. So I don't know what the actual, you know, <laughs> words were, but it was weird. Oh my gosh, that is and just awful. Really but embarrassing. Also really funny. Yeah, and he would but it he would often like that that force happened. hugs on me and stuff as well. Oh, yeah. Well, looking forward to someone drawing that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, creepy. to be honest, I feel like maybe I've heard Dan tell that story. <laughs> yeah, he tells everyone. One year I played like I think it was like uh, opening one of the stages at um, Big Day Out which was a big thing for me. And I ran into someone from the drones and they were like, yeah. oh, I heard a story about you. Dan <laughs> Kelly told us like some story about a guy saying he wants to see you in your underwear. It's so funny. Such a good story. I'm like, thanks. thanks it's like, <laughs> I mean, once the story, I, I like a good story too. So I'm okay with it yeah. being shared. But in that very moment, I felt like naked. Yeah, and yeah. it wasn't the best before you're going to go on stage. No, I was that was the least of my problems. Like I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't rattled by like everyone in the audience wouldn't have known it. It was just the fact that all these cool dudes heard it. And and I had to like handle it and I yeah. I handled it by pretending that he'd said a normal thing. Yeah, and you were like, "Thanks." Thank okay. you. I that's very good feedback. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Oh, that's, <laughs> it's a funny story, but makes me want to give you a hug. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> hey, Laura, thank you so much for being on my podcast. It's been so lovely just to talk to you in general, but yeah, extra lovely to have recorded it and to be able to share it with everyone. Thanks for having me. I've uh, been loving your bloody podcasts. Oh, thanks, mate. I love your bloody show bloody sick.